thecooperageproject.org. And from listeners like you. This is Radio Catskill taking a quick look at the weather. It's been a cloudy, wet, and foggy day in our area, especially in the Liberty area where we're broadcasting from. Going to be cloudy through tonight and uh, fog remaining through the overnight patchy areas of fog with an overnight low of 37. Moisture's moving out of our area, cooler air coming in behind it. Some fog on the early end tomorrow, otherwise mostly cloudy and a high of 41 with some clouds clearing in the afternoon as we head towards that high of 41. Much cooler tomorrow night, generally clear overnight low of 23. This is Radio Catskill. And it's time for the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you for joining us here on a Wednesday evening. What we do on Wednesdays is we get the latest on jobs and the economy, especially since there was an employment situation summary on Friday. We'll get the latest on that with James B. Huntington on WorkShift Live coming up in the second half of the program. But first, it's time for the latest from the award-winning River Reporter. And for that, we turn to award-winning River Reporter. Reporter, Leah Mayo, welcome back to the program. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me back. So, uh, Delaware River Basin Commission, and that's that's a that's a five-state commission, is that correct? Yes, that right. is the five-state... Uh, sorry, I think it's a four-state commission. Four-state, thank you. Five members, with one member being the federal government. It's Pennsylvania, Delaware... New York and New Jersey, I want to say. I, don't I just have it in front of me right now. I just wanted to give people that reminder because we talk about the, the, the DRBC a lot. It's good to refresh on what it was because you might go from thinking of four states and five members is actually five states. So anyway, they met this morning, as far as I understand. Fracking is something you're talking about again, this time fracking byproducts. Uh, what was in the discussion and was anything decided by the Delaware River Basin Commission? Right. Uh, so to be clear, uh, just in case people have not been following this, fracking itself was not on the table this morning. Fracking was banned in the Delaware River Basin by the DRBC back in February of 2021, and today's conversation was not about revisiting that. Um, what was in conversation was a couple of supplemental rules around the importation and exportation of water from the Delaware River Basin, as well as the um, discharge of fracking wastewater in the basin. Um, and this has been a process that's been going on for a while, developing these rules. It's back uh, October of 2021. Uh, the draft rules were released, and now um, it's over a year later that they're being decided. And uh, what ended up happening was the rules around import and export of water were tightened up somewhat and clarified. And the discharge of fracking wastewater was prohibited. So that's, so, so that's the end result of this more than year long process. Yes, it is. Okay, great. And I just want to, I'm, I, I, Sounds like good news to me, but um, I mean, there there were is there folks that were on the other side of this issue that wanted to not have uh, tighter regulations. Um, there is sort of a 
body of opposition sort of on both sides. Uh, there are folks who want the River Valley to be opened back up for fracking, and those folks are kind of going through the court system right now. Um, there was some discussion about a uh, current case um, at the meeting today. It doesn't seem like that's close to being decided, um, but for now, fracking is still banned in the basin. Um but the, what there was more conversation about was whether the rules should be even tighter because the rules that they were talking about today did specifically tighten up the restrictions around the import and export of water. And I believe uh, one of the DRBC members um, who was explaining the rules said that they don't plan on authorizing the exportation of water for use in fracking. Um, but a lot of advocates were calling for just basically a very flat ban, where it's like, we're not going to participate in any fracking-related activities. And the rules today fall just a little bit short of that. So um, as good as it may be, or bad as it may be, depending on which side you're on, that the DRBC is tightening up their rules around fracking, um I think what advocates were potentially looking for was something even tighter still. So um, the DRBC is, I think, just trying to protect the river as best it can. Um, but it is a little bit in the, caught in the middle of uh, people who feel very strongly about this issue on both sides. Yeah, and I'm I'm just curious, like with fracking being banned in in a forced state area, then where where is this potential wastewater coming from? I think the idea is um, so fracking is banned in the Delaware River Valley Basin, um, but uh, there are uh, nearby uh, river areas where fracking is still. Uh, very much going on. Um, there's uh, apologies. I, I don't quite remember the name of one right now, but fracking is very much a thing elsewhere in Pennsylvania, I believe. So um, the idea is that um, industry from elsewhere in the state or elsewhere in the region could try and use any loophole in the DRBC's regulations to um, to uh, use the Delaware River Valley for some tangential portion of its mm -hmm. industry. Um, whether or not the new rules completely prohibit that is, I think, a little up in the air. Um, what I was hearing from advocates sort of at the meeting today was that they still needed more time to review these new regulations. But um, it, even if fracking, the fracking industry does uh, do something in the River Valley, it would be very tangential to the actual fracking, which is going to happen um, elsewhere. Right. And so it sounds like uh, the people that support the further tightening of the rules, even beyond what happened today, are looking to, A, not uh, give uh, any uh, fracking uh, potential foothold uh, to to change the current regulations and then be just philosophically, realistically not support that industry in any way. And, uh, I, you know, I'm glad that I asked you that, uh, out of the blue question of like, where's this stuff coming from to underscore that point that so it's banned in the basin. 
um, and the commission that governs the basins of these four states. It doesn't mean that it's banned in all the states. That would go a long way of explaining why uh, so much of the support and, and frustration over existing regulations is primarily coming from people in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania legislators. Exactly. And um, it's still very much a contested thing, um, especially, say, the uh, Susquehanna County. Um, there was actually just a case that resolved in Susquehanna County of um, Corterra Energy Incorporated um, pleading no contest to charges related to environmental crimes, uh, uh, polluting the local water supply in a place called Dimmock. So, uh, even though the Delaware River Basin Commission has banned fracking in our specific neck of the woods, it is still something that is very much being contested, like the next valley over and the next valley over. So um, any any kind of decision here can have impact uh, elsewhere, yeah. elsewhere, even if like right here, we're not in immediate risk of seeing fracking return. All right. Um, and now on to another uh, another contentious uh, project uh, along the river in the river area. The Camp Fimfo, that's F-I-M-F-O, Camp Fimfo project has had its timeline extended uh, as of last Wednesday's planning board meeting. What was the timeline? What is it now? And what's going on? Yeah. Um, so the Camp Fimfo project is this project as you said, it's very contentious. It's a project to turn the former Kittatinny Canoes in Berryville um, into a sort of revised, modernized um, camp slash family resort. And the original timeline was a little up in the air, but it had a very specific deadline associated with it. Uh, the public hearing for the planning board application for that was currently going on. It was going on since September. And once that public hearing closed, the planning board had 62 days to make its final determination about the project. So uh, the planning board was sort of keeping the public hearing open for a couple of months to give some additional information time to come in. Um, but once it closed that public hearing, it was going to have a 62-day deadline to do whatever it was going to do. Um, and at the last public hearing slash planning board meeting, uh, which happened last Wednesday, uh, November 30th, um, the attorney for Camp Info came to the planning board and said, hey, we still need a lot of time to get you some of these things, like there's a hydrology report that we want to get you, and we're still working with the National Park Service to answer some of their concerns. So we would like to waive that 62-day requirement. So uh, that's not something that town could unilaterally decide to waive, but the applicant sort of, as far as I understand it, has the ability to say, we're not going to hold you to this. We're not going to hold the planning board to that 62-day requirement. Um, and that gives the planning board over 62 days, I guess, to um, make its decision on this project. And um, it indicated that it's going to take at least that time. It's not going to meet again in December, which puts its next meeting 
uh, toward the end of January. So no further developments on that story uh, in, for another six weeks? Exactly. At, at least, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it lets things sort of die down over the holiday season. Um, and it gives people time to digest, I'd imagine, uh, the comments from the camp. Because since the public hearing was open, uh, the Northgate Resorts, which is developing Camp Simfo, um got a lot of comments. And they responded to those comments in pretty depth detail um, during the November planning board meeting. So the break gives the planning board time to uh, consider the information it has now, and it gives people in the public time to consider that information as well. Okay. And uh, again, not fully getting the nuance of this is, is this like an act of goodwill on the part of the applicant in this case, camp info, or am I misreading this? Um, like you're saying there, the, is the camp giving giving the town more time? You know, when they didn't have to. Well, I think the alternative was that the planning board would just keep open the public hearing. Oh, so, okay. Well, then, all right. Which, that's that's what I was yeah. looking for. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I get that. And, now. and th- this this is sort of a neater way of doing it potentially. Um, that doesn't have this public hearing hanging over everyone's head. Um, But I think it is also an acknowledgement from uh, the camp that they don't have all of the information quite ready, or they they don't have everything they need right now to respond to the town's concerns. They They are taking that time because they need that time. And given that this process has kind of been going on since very early this year, um, I believe Simfo first came to the planning board sometime in the spring. Um, that that they still need more time is kind of a gesture, or that asking for more time is kind of a gesture of goodwill. Okay. All right. Well, Liam, actually, uh, we've we've talked right past uh, our time that we've got to get going. I got to move on so we can get to James B. Huntington. But can you real quick talk about this uh, bicentennial committee? Can you do that in, in 30, uh, not bicentennial, said 250th anniversary of Declaration of Independence. What has Sullivan County done? Yes. Uh, the one sentence version is uh, John and Deborah Conway. Uh, Sullivan County historian and um, executive director of the Delaware Company have been selected to co-chair a commission to celebrate the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in Sullivan County. And if you want to serve on the commission with them and help, email john at thedelawarecompany.org. All right. Liam Mayo from The River Reporter, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for Work Shift Live. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. The mixtape's all about eclectic music. Compiled with love, like an old school mixtape. I'm Jason Tuga, and every Friday night, it's my aim to bring you something special a unique mix of music you wouldn't hear anywhere else. 
You can count on hearing a diverse range of artists, eras, genres, and vibes. The Mixtape, an hour of music assembled by me just for you. Friday night. Friday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. Your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Right now, once again, on a Wednesday evening, it is time to look at the latest in jobs and the economy in our area, around the country, around the world. For that, we turn to James B. Huntington, because it's time for another edition of Work Shift Live. Hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. Working Okay, uh, James, there was a employment situation summary on Friday. I guess first I'll ask, is that the, the regular employment report that we're talking about, or is this a different one, and then what was in it? Yes, that's the official name for what people call the jobs report or the well, employment the report. report. You know, the one that comes out once a month, usually on the first Friday. That's right. what it is. Okay. And... Uh, as far as what happened, once again, they, people predicted 200,000 net new non-farm jobs, and it turned out to be 263,000. Those numbers are almost identical to the previous month, and they're excellent. We have unadjusted and seasonally adjusted unemployment staying the same, 3.4 and 3.7 percent, the the Adjusted number is hanging out between 3.5 and 3.7%. It's been there for nine months, almost all year. We have the number of jobless that was adjusted dropped 100,000. We have the employment population ratio and the labor force participation rate were getting a cause for concern here. They were each down one-tenth of a percent, which is a significant amount for these numbers that don't change very much in any kind of short term. They have been slowly dropping. However, on the good side, something that hasn't happened at all since inflation kicked up, this was the first time that private non-farm payroll wages exceeded it. So they were up 24 cents an hour for an average there for 32.82. The American job shortage number, or AJSN, which shows how many jobs could quickly be filled in addition to the ones that are now if, out there now. If everyone knew they'd be easy to and routine, that improved, dropping about 150,000 to 15.8 million. So it's generally very good we're not getting into any trouble we also have no issue really with covid the numbers are low enough still that it doesn't seem like people are going to work who should be staying home or quarantining or whatever not many of them so we're still in the good rut we were in a month ago so people are leaving the labor force but Jobs are more than keeping pace with demand. Unusually strong unemployment times is what we have right now. All right. Um, Continuing with jobs, how about jobs for computer science graduates? I would assume that's a a nice, healthy job market in such a computer-oriented world. Is that the case? No. (laughs) Job possibilities for STEM 
fields in general have been overrated for a long time. It's been reported over the past 10 years off and on that people are not getting the positions they want, that they're hanging out in academic areas in, mm, what is the word for it? It is, mm, it is fellowships, postdoctoral fellowships that they go to oftentimes to build up credentials for academic fields. In good times, it's only taken two or three years of that, but now it's eight, ten years. The thing is, the supply of these people, have these fields have been touted so much that there are really too many. And here we go. The, The headline says, Computer Science Students Face a Shrinking Big Tech Job Market. The New York Times, it's... People who have been getting out of school recently, those who are lucky or skillful enough to get into the large companies are, with all the recent layoffs, a lot of them are getting pushed right out the door. So it's not so great. And we're also getting word about more and more outsourcing on the way from other countries. Hmm. It's been a standing sort of a sort of Damocles hanging over the entire industry, and now it seems like it may fall. They realize that to get Indians and Pakistanis and such who are well-educated but paid a lot less, they can get them to do these jobs for a lot less than Americans. And they have not wanted to take real advantage of that in this country, but it seems like that might well be happening so is this another example here yeah is this another example of people not preparing correctly for the job market or worse the the preparation and the message that people give to students you know enter college go into stem go into these fields is behind the times well it's just it's kind of idealistic it's true they have been certainly in the last decade good sources of jobs, but they're fading somewhat. It's supply and demand is a lot there, and when the supply of STEM graduates gets high, then there are not quite enough jobs to go around. It's it's not that the people aren't preparing unless they're taking undue risks. A lot of them sort of zero in on something late in their college careers that they think they can get in a year or so. And if it materializes, great. But if it doesn't, or in this case, it materializes. These were, there are some case studies in this article, some anecdotals about people who did great, people who got jobs right out of college, coding at Meta. You'd have to be a real barn burner of a programmer to get those positions. Yeah. Most do not do that well at that point. But then again, they're getting laid off. They're the last to get hired and the first laid off, and the first to lose their jobs and that's happening. So it's all risky. I mean do this if you want to. Certainly it is it does have some real advantages, but do not expect that it will be just a cakewalk into getting a good job and keeping it, no matter how well prepared you are. And you know what? One of the one of the byproducts, one of the results of people entering uh, computer science and computer programming and programming fields, you you know what you get with that, right? You get robots. 
<laughs> it's time once again for the latest on robots and artificial intelligence in the workplace. We have a, a big uh, robot watch segment. This is the robot watch segment exclusive to WorkShift Live. James, we got a few robot stories we want to try to get to. Let's start with Robots 1, Robots in Large Offices. What's that story about? Well, just to tell you about, we got brainless robots, self-replicating <laughs> robots. We got deadly robots, and we've got job-munching robots. They're all here. Oh, my goodness. So, let's start out. The the brainless robots, these are ones that are walking around doing things in cubicle and such environments. And the brainless thing is that employees are afraid that they will be monitoring them and gobbling up information and feeding it over to human resources and that kind of thing. And what they have here, this is developed in Korea, where they have a lot of good jobs in similar environments to ours, but the, the employees don't want them to be really smart, so they just go around, they they look like rolling garbage cans, and they look, move, and behave in a way that makes employees comfortable. So they're working this out so that people don't have to be scared of what the robots, quote, see, because they may be very good at delivering coffee from the Starbucks downstairs, but they're not designed to mm, gobble up doubtful information. So that's an example of where robots could have greater ability, but those abilities are being curtailed to protect the sensibilities of us squishy humans. But then there's some other robots that they're, they've actually got some intelligence and they're self-replicating. Yes, there was an old joke an old line from the 80s and 90s saying the reason why we have people is that computers let them live so people will build more computers. And that's just about what we're having here, except we're having robots that are able to replicate themselves. It's an MIT research project. They're tiny robots. They're able to build structures, vehicles, or even larger versions of themselves. It's... Hmm, capable. It's, they're called voxels. They're very small. They are on the way, and they are working things out. It's going to be a danger. I mean, we all saw the Terminator, didn't we? We all see what can happen <laughs> if there are autonomous goal-seeking programs that are uncontrolled. But even though it could be years for these things, they still seem like they're going to be on the way. On the way. That's why we're keeping a watch on them here on Robot Watch. We might have time for just one more here. We're in the final two minutes of the program. Robots 3, which city is considering deploying robots that might actually use lethal force? We got some lethal robots? San Francisco. They're getting close to authorizing deadly force from robots. They're saying it will only be for extreme cases such as terrorists and mass shooters who can't be controlled. They mentioned the Las Vegas shooting where the police and the possible victims were all pinned down. That would be a case for robots. So it's already happened in Dallas where a robot delivered a bomb which killed a Hmm, gunman who was killing five people who had just 
probably just killed five people. So that will do that. We'll see. We will see how that materializes. And then we have Chat GPT, which is doing more and more and more of what educated office workers and programmers, analysts, a lot of these people are able to do. So we have, once again, a real possibility of robots coming for the skilled jobs. Mm -hmm. So we'll keep an eye on this. All right, you heard it here first, and to hear it here the first uh, on a future robots and AI intelligence in the workplace, you want to be listening to WorkShift Live every week right here on Wednesday evenings on the local edition. James B. Huntington, thank you for another edition of WorkShift Live. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, listeners. Well, what can I say? So much for the three laws of robotics. Robot delivered a bomb, but humans made it. That's going to be it for the local edition. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back tomorrow evening. We'll do it all over again. Local edition comes to you every weekday evening at 6.30 here on Radio Catskill. Never miss an edition of the local edition. Sign up for the podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcast from. It's a local edition from Radio Catskill. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. We are Radio Catskill. Stay tuned. Coming up, it's Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Majestic Farm, specializing in organic apples and pasture-raised heritage meats. Open all year for contact-free meat pickup, MajesticFarm.com. From Rourke Law, Liberty, New York, a general law practice serving the Catskills and Delaware River Valley with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com. This is Radio Catskill.